Hello, everyone. My name is Dave O'Neill. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Indeed, and I'd like to welcome you to this installment of Here to Help, which is Indeed's look at how we've been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. We've been sharing our response to the crisis as a company and also sharing what we are doing as a business to help job seekers and employers all over the world at this critical time. COVID-19 has created a significant shift in the way we are living and has impacted businesses of all types. One of the hardest hit sectors has been live entertainment, including sports. Professional sports leagues shut down quickly beginning in March and are just starting now to operate again on adjusted schedules. And one of the world's largest and most eagerly anticipated sporting events, the Olympics, was postponed until next summer. The 2020 Games, originally to begin, scheduled to begin in Tokyo just a couple of weeks from today, have been pushed out by one year. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Peter Sherrard, the CEO of the Olympic Federation of Ireland. As the head of Team Ireland, Peter has helped the athletes, coaches, and support staff to adapt to the postponement of the games, prepare for the rescheduled games, and operate under the restrictions imposed by the pandemic. As a partner to Team Ireland, I'm proud on behalf of Indeed to welcome Peter uh, and to find out more about how Team Ireland is getting ready for Tokyo 2021. Thank you, Dave. It's a real pleasure to be here and a real honor really to be speaking to uh, all of the, the staff from Indeed Worldwide. Uh, you're great partners and a great assistance to us and uh, I'm really happy to help. Well, it's great to see you. It was just over a year ago that Indeed's leadership team was over in Dublin announcing our sponsorship of Team Ireland for the, the 2020 Tokyo Games. Um, so it's great to see you. And, and first off, how are you doing? How's your family doing right now? Yeah, good to see you. I've uh, yeah, it's it's been a challenge, I think, for everyone. But um, I have a a eleven year old daughter and a ten year old daughter, and thankfully they've been keeping themselves entertained largely during the lockdown. Uh, we've had since approximately March, mid March, we've been working from home. Uh, it's been quite a seamless transition from that point of view. But obviously, it brings its challenges. On on the plus side, I've had some time to spend. Uh, with my family in closer quarters, but trying to juggle that with the needs of um, looking after the arrangements for Tokyo 2021, as it will now be, uh, has been a challenge at times. But I think we've all faced through that and we all, we've all learned quite a lot about ourselves in the process. Yeah, it's certainly been been a unique experience and, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's amazing to see what's going around, going on around the world and, and how people are, are dealing with it and really stepping up to, to try to help uh, help people in our communities. Uh, but take me back for a minute to just before COVID-19 hit. So back to early 2020, what were you and your team focused on at that point? Yeah, it was hugely ramping up. I mean, the, the activities, the work rate was um, getting more intense and it, was, it, it had been part of a, a really a three to four year project to prepare for Tokyo. And suddenly, you know, everything was, was coming into the, the final home straight and we could see that, uh, you know, come... Uh, April, we needed to have a number of tasks completed. May, a lot more tasks. And June, we had to be really completely locked and loaded. And to a large degree, we were extremely well prepared and were in a very good place to be able to go to Tokyo. So some of the challenge for us actually with our own employee group and with uh, the performance directors, team leaders, and even the athletes, obviously, has been to step back from that state of, of intense uh, preparedness and, and excitement and anticipation and to be able to say, okay, we have to adjust to this uh, and we have to adjust to a new reality. 
which uh, from a business point of view is tricky. But when you're when you're dealing with athletes and you're dealing with performance directors, there's another psychological layer, which I think uh, affects us all, even or, or normal employees like myself. Uh, we also have to adjust and reset a little bit during the whole process. We well, talked about, I mean, there's such a unique cadence to the Olympics, right? This four year schedule for the summer games and uh, you know, people go through different phases of preparation and training. And then the last minute, uh, you know, the last probably three to six months, right? Really just preparing to make the move and transition over to the new environment and get ready to compete. When, when was it that you started to realize that the summer games uh, that are, were supposed to start just two and a half weeks from today uh, would be at risk of missing that schedule? I'd be really honest with you, you know, I mean, a, a lot of people will say retrospectively, you know, when they saw the news coming out of China in uh, December, early January, that they started to realize there was potentially an issue uh, that they really had to take stock of. However, you know, I don't think the world realized at that point that this was going to be such a, a worldwide issue. Um, I think certainly I remember putting it onto our risk register for the first time, which sounds like a very corporate thing to do, but it needed to be done. And I think that was in February. So I went the month of January without doing it. I put it to you like that. I probably should have, but I think it's, it's, it's a reflection of how we probably all felt that perhaps it could be contained within uh, the Wuhan province and, and might not move outside. As we know, it, it moved, it's, it's moved everywhere and it continues to move. Um, and we've all reacted uh, as a global community uh, very well, I believe, but it's, uh, it's a real challenge. And I think um, it's only by working together internationally, actually, and that's one, one area that sport can really uh, play a role because it, it covers the world, I suppose, um, that we can resolve uh, what we're facing. Uh, and then, and then what, what was the shift that happened, right? I mean, I think there was a period of uncertainty as to when the rescheduled games might take place. Would it be later in 2021? Would it go on the same schedule just a year later? T take me through, you know, the shift in preparations, um, you know, and, and uh, the types of things that you, that you had to do and what is still left to do. Yeah, there's been a huge amount really when you look back at it, but, uh, you know, in in March, when we started to realize that really the, the best step would be for a postponement of the games at that point, uh, we at that stage weren't aware whether the, the Tokyo organizing committee would be happy to postpone. And we hoped against hope that it wouldn't be a cancellation. So I think from uh, an organizational point of view and particularly from the athletes perspective, uh, it was it was extremely important that it it, it came about as a postponement. Um, but in that period, we had to do a huge amount of reorganizing to be able to protect the athletes. So first of all, we kept the uh, Sport Ireland Institute where the athletes train nationally, uh, as a, the majority of them, uh, open for as long as possible, but had to uh, adopt a lot of new procedures to ensure that the uh, risks were mitigated. And then when it became apparent that really we were going to have to close um, and start to work remotely, we began to put in place, um, I suppose, mechanisms so that the athletes could do a minimum or replicate some of what they were doing uh, in order to keep their conditioning up to a certain level while at home. So we had to uh, send out a lot of equipment uh, to make sure that the athletes were uh, looked after as best possible. And we had to make sure that there was regular contact and, and regular sharing of information with the performance directors and with the athletes themselves as to what was happening. 
and how uh, they could help us during this period and how we could help them. Um, it's very tricky because, you know, for a lot of athletes, uh, they, they only probably get one real crack at the Olympic Games. Some, some are fortunate to have maybe two, three, even four Olympic Games. But the majority, it's 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 one Olympic Games, and it's their whole life. You know, they they uh, have in large large parts set aside their careers, and they're focused on this uh, hugely ambitious goal to be the best in the world, and uh, to adjust in such a short space of time to say, well, okay, I've now got another fourteen months. How do I deal with that? Um, it's it's a journey that that takes quite a lot of support. So we have been there to support them through that, um, and. I know one of the things that's been particularly notable through this journey is the support that we've received from Indeed. It's Indeed has been uh, working with us to really support the athletes on their journey. And that for us was particularly important uh, when we when we embarked on the partnership. And we've been able to do that in quite an innovative, innovative way during the lockdown. Uh, and it's provided opportunities that maybe we hadn't foreseen beforehand. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. How, how are the, how, first of all, how do the athletes react, right? I mean, I, I think to your point, nobody wanted the games to be canceled, but maybe some of them wanted the games to go on in Tokyo and even take that risk of, you know, some sort of community transmission during the games or you know, the, the, the notion of putting their entire lives on hold, as you say, for another 12 or 14 months. Are they working in between? Are they continuing with their training? Just how did, how did they react and what was their mentality? So one of, one of the first things that we, we tried to do was to give them that sense of uh, assurance uh, in terms of that their needs would be looked after. Uh, so any athletes that were on athlete scholarships, for example, uh, we were immediately able to announce that those would continue, uh, both from the International Olympic Committee scholarships that we, we award and also from the Sport Ireland uh, government-driven scholarships that are available in this country. So that, that was important because it takes the pressure off them, uh, first and foremost. Uh, the second thing is that we we had to work with them to readjust training schedules and to make sure that uh, they weren't doing anything reckless or that was going to put them in any in any danger. And you know, athletes, I suppose, will will always want to try and compete, and because it's such a an all consuming part of of what they do, the vast majority, if you had said, look, there's still uh, COVID nineteen in the in the community, would probably have wanted to compete. But I think they were very relieved when the announcement was made that the games would be postponed. And I do think it was the right call and I think it was the prudent call and the safe call. Um, we will have some difficult discussions next year. Um, you know, if there is still COVID-19 in the community, uh, certain athletes may have slightly different points of view and we have to respect that. Um, but at the moment, really, from uh, talking to the athletes as a whole, uh, they really want to, to compete. Um, but they're aware that they will have to uh, put safety first. Yeah, I mean, from a safety perspective, clearly the easiest thing is to is to slow down any events like this and, and postpone them almost indefinitely. Uh, and we don't know when we'll be back into to a normal type of environment. How do you and how do the athletes handle that concept of planning for a set of games that may not actually ever occur, right? Because everybody at, with best intentions and with a set of goals and expectations of how things will move along with the, the health pandemic and treatments and potential vaccines, people believe that we'll be able to hold these games next summer. But there's no guarantee. I think everybody's really living in this world of uncertainty with no particular date of an end in sight. 
Uh, so, so how is that impacting the athletes and that, that uncertainty? Yeah, I think athletes uh, as a group, actually, because are trained almost from, a, from an early age uh, in order to get where they, where they, where they arrived uh, to be very resilient. And they're also very good at compartmentalizing. So, the, I mean, I know it's a cliche, but to control the controllables. Um, and, you know, they, they understand that innately in, in what they do in their daily lives. So at the moment, you know, they by and large realize that there's really not too much point in worrying about whether uh, what, what will happen in, in 12 months time. Uh, and really, they just have to stay focused and to... Uh, keep that uh, daily routine that they need to be able to prepare. In some cases, that is a challenge because, as you say, um, you know, some of the athletes are getting a little bit older, or some of them have made it, had made it decisions to put their lives on hold, put their careers on hold, and had said, "Look, I can afford to do this until 2020, but could I afford to do it to 2021?" Actually, becomes a new conversation that, in many cases, has to be had with families, uh, loved ones. Uh, they have to look at the financial realities. So. You know, it's a, it's a real, um, quite a lot of pressures that, that can be placed on individual athletes. And I think it, it's at these times that it's particularly important for us as an Olympic Federation to show that support. Um, so with our partners in the Sport Island Institute, there has been um, psychological support provided to athletes throughout this. And even the socialization aspect of using uh, Zoom meetings with their team leaders has been particularly important. And getting on to you know the work that indeed uh, has has been doing, it really sits extremely well. The the whole proposition for the, the sponsorship of the Irish Olympic team, um, this this care for the athletes and uh, unleashing their talent, but it's it's about that career transition and helping them to be the best that they can be. The the kind of the self actualization piece, um, and there's been great opportunities uh, for athletes to press the pause button in some cases and to think about their lives and think about what the next steps might be. And that's a, a place that indeed has been able to provide real support during this, this current crisis. Yeah, I want to get back to that in a moment. But first, I, I want to touch on something that you mentioned, which is you know, the psychological and the mental health aspects of this situation. And, and we've seen it as a business and we've heard from lots of businesses. They're concerned about their employees, especially younger employees who may be living on their own uh, and don't have the social connections that they would typically have uh, as part of a workforce. Now with these athletes, you know, they, they still do have this goal that they're pursuing and there may be some inherent self-motivation that, that kind of gets them up in the morning and, and really encourages them to train. But can you talk about some of the, the community outreach things and the way that uh, the athletes have stayed engaged uh, with others that have helped them through this process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you know, you talk about those needs that people have, um, whether they're athletes or like us, you know, going into work every day and, and trying to stay motivated and trying to make sure that uh, you're you're bringing the group with you. Um, for, for me, it, if if we think of um, Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, you know, it's it's that those basic needs. Once we can we can make sure that the athletes feel safe, uh, that they they uh, are their scholarships are continuing. Um, you know, that socialization piece and that self-esteem piece is extremely important. And I think that's been um, an area that we've been able to work on extensively uh, during this period. We're aided actually by the fact that uh, sports coverage has changed. So you have huge uh, sports uh, departments in all newspapers 
uh, across most mod uh, digital media platforms, across uh, all television stations. And suddenly they find they've actually got very little to report on. So they start to get back into the human stories and back into stories that ordinarily they might not report on so much. And our athletes have enjoyed a huge amount of profile during the uh, lockdown period because of actions that they've been doing in the community, which are wonderfully um, motivating for them, uh, but also extremely beneficial for society at large and wouldn't ordinarily have been picked up on as much by the media, but have been during this crisis. So we have things like um, the athletes have been um, helping uh, the elderly in the community by bringing, um, bringing food and bringing deliveries to them during the lockdown. Uh, we've had a, through a program that we run with schools uh, for primary school children, it's been extremely difficult um, for children who have had to be uh, taught at home by their moody parents. Um, uh, and uh, I say that for myself. Um, and, uh, you know, th bringing the athletes into their lives has been has been really beneficial. So we had Facebook live sessions with school visits by uh, athlete ambassadors uh, during during that period. We covered over uh, three to four hundred schools uh, and it was thousands and thousands of children enjoyed that uh, uh, week in, week out and being able to really talk to their heroes and understand what they were going through. And it helps those children to rationalize and, and, and understand what's actually happening in the world when they when they hear it from somebody else who they might look up to. Um, we've also, um, here in, in this country, we've had a, a daily uh, schools hub for, for school children um, so that it recreates the classroom environment while they haven't been able to be in a, a traditional classroom setting. And around uh, this time of the year, traditionally, we would have sports days so for a week, uh, we had our athletes uh, out on, on the national television, bringing kind of sports day to life for children who were from at home and, and showing them how they can, uh, they can recreate some of the really important part of their, their, their lives uh, growing up uh, in their back gardens, um, albeit that they can't actually mix with their friends and their buddies from school. So there's been, there's been a large number and plenty more than that of, of initiatives that the athletes have uh, taken part in. But I think the biggest thing that shines through for me is is how they are such wonderful ambassadors, such wonderful inspiration to us all, and have also led by example, so that they have um, they have shown us uh, that, you know, they they understand what society is going through. There's a great empathy there and there's a great support uh, to help to bring the nation through what is a very difficult time. Yeah, and we, we've been lucky to have this great team of, of Indeed ambassadors uh, from Team Ireland. Sunita, the rower, uh, Natalia, uh, Natalia Coyle, the, the decathlete, and Reese McClenaghan has, has put out some videos, you know, with inspirational messages showing uh, the training that's been done at home. And I think that's just been a, a way for people to understand, right? Other people are going through it. How are they handling it uh, and, and what good can come of it? And, and sharing the messages, sharing the feelings has been a really powerful thing. Uh, that I think reflects, you know, fantastically on the uh, on the athlete community, uh, and now people are starting to get back into on-site training. Right, Ireland has been fortunate, I think, in the global landscape of not been uh, not being overrun by cases. Can you talk a little bit about the process of getting back to uh, to the training? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. We've um, we, we've had a a very good coordinated response nationally, and we're, we probably benefit from being a relatively small country that we can. Uh, be quite agile and move reasonably quickly in the face of, of something as unprecedented as COVID-19. Uh, but the response has been uh, 
considered good um, and quite effective at suppressing the cases in the community. Um, we're not being complacent, but they are now down to a very low level. And the big hope is that they stay there. Although as reopening starts, there's always the danger that we could encounter a second wave. But that said, we 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 did find it uh, difficult for a period because the athletes that we're dealing with, are there's probably about uh, between 200 and 400 uh, nationally who would be competing at the elite level. And uh, while the approach generally uh, nationwide to um, stop a lot of sports um, practice from taking place uh, worked and, and, and needs to needed to happen. We did need a, towards the end of the lockdown period a little bit more nuance so that elite athletes could uh, be exempt from some of the tighter restrictions uh, that were in place for the for for everyone else like myself. So, for example, we had five or twenty kilometer uh, restrictions uh, so that people couldn't travel outside of those those areas. But that was um, hampering the ability of some of our athletes to actually get to their training centres. Um, so we, we had to call on the government and, and do a bit of lobbying to get that, uh, to bring that about. And I think in that process, the athletes could see that we understood their needs and were very much on their side. So it was a, it was a positive, uh, positive thing. Um, when, when we did reopen, um, the, the flow has been relatively low to start with and has built and built and built. So it's, it's not being done in any way rashly. Uh, there's a, a, an awareness within each of the sports that they have to adopt a lot of new protocols and make sure that they do it properly and carefully. So uh, athletes are now by and large back at training and they're, they're, very, they're very happy, I, I think. Uh, it gives them a, a new sense of focus. In some cases, they're waiting a little bit longer because the qualification periods have moved out and they're actually using this as a period to reboot um, and give themselves, you know, another few weeks before they come back in, in into August and approaching September. So um, it really depends sport by sport. But I think having them back and uh, for the athletes, it means a huge amount because they can they can really restore the normality to their daily lives in, in a small part. Yeah, it's an important thing. But but I'm sure that there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot everybody is learning from the process of reopening and you can't identify every risk that you might come across and you learn from the different experiences. Have there been any instances where, you know, certain sports have to have a different set of protocols than others? I mean, naturally, team sports, you can have more people involved. Um, but are, are there any activities that uh, have been deemed extra high risk that you've had to pull back on some of the training? Yeah, I, and, and largely that's that's done on a sport by sport basis, and they they review their protocol. They have uh, our chief medical officer reviews uh, each of the the proposed protocols and make sure they're in line with where they need to be. But yes, there are there are quite a lot of differences. So, you know, there are sports like some of the uh, athletic disciplines that maybe they could be for certainly on the distance side could be on the road in many cases. They weren't restricted in a massive way throughout. Uh, some of the cycling disciplines as well, um, from an outdoor perspective, uh, for road cycling. Um, but then you have sports, you know, where they, in, they need to be indoors. So swimming was quite a difficult one. So even now, they, the elite athletes have returned to training, but they're not using the changing rooms. Uh, they've got protocols in terms of uh, getting in and out of the buildings, the number of people's, people that can be training at any one time in the, in the lanes. And, you know, that goes for a lot of different sports. Uh, indoor sports like badminton are, are, are affected uh, in the same way. And the, the most difficult ones from our point of view uh, would be the, com the combat sports uh, and contact sports. And Ireland has a very strong boxing heritage that affects us quite a lot. 
um, and we have some really promising talent coming through on the boxing side. So they've they're taking their time, um, and they 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 are really having to look at at ways that they can they can train in the ways that they can bring back uh, the levels as as they progress. It's the same for taekwondo and a number of other sports. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch in the global landscape. You know, you see golf and you see race car driving. Those are, you know, you're pretty, pretty separate uh, from the competition. So that those are those are relatively easily easy to get back online. But now you think about uh, soccer leagues starting up and professional basketball, professional baseball uh, starting up. It's going to be a different set of risks. And I think we'll learn a lot. It's, it's easy to see it in the in the hypothetical, right? You lay out the, the plans and then once you get into the practical, sometimes it can be a, a much different story. So it'll be uh, an interesting process, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even for team sports, you know, uh, we have our, our women's hockey team and we, we'd hope they, they can do big things in Tokyo. But it's, uh, you know, they've had to return in small clusters and eventually that will become full group training but uh, in other countries within hockey for example they've seen uh, full team uh, training returns but with strict protocol adopted so look it's it's quite a tight-knit community uh, within sport and i think within performance sport even more so so people can learn from each other and, and hopefully we do learn from each other as we progress yeah well, great. I, want, I do want to shift now a little bit and talk about uh, Indeed's partnership with Team Ireland. And Indeed is a business we try to get very involved in the communities where we operate. And we thought this was just an amazing opportunity to be uh, in support of the Irish people. Uh, and, and then also think about the experience of the athletes. Because as you mentioned, a lot of these Olympic athletes, they dedicate a good chunk of their life uh, to participating in their sport. And then they've got to think about what comes next. And I'd love it if you could just talk about a little bit of the experience that the athletes have had dealing with um, the programs that Indeed has put in place, the career coach, uh, and how it's maybe shifted or, or been different from what the expectations were when we first announced the partnership. Yeah, well, look, first of all, it's, it's um, I think we were really, really happy to see Indeed come on board. And I, I genuinely hope that uh, Indeed as an organization also benefits significantly from the partnership. And it's it's really been very, very heartening to see. And I, I mean this, Dave, I know it sounds like a, I'm, I'm just saying it because I'm here, but it's not at all. You know, to see uh, you wearing the green jersey there, it's, it's great, you know, and, and Ireland's a small country. We are small, we know that. And, um, you know, but there's, there's great global appeal. So I'd like to think that, uh, you know, the employees of Indeed can, obviously they'll support their own countries first, and you have a huge uh, and diverse uh, workforce from many, many different countries, but that you'd also uh, give us a hand and support the Irish athletes as uh, through the process. And it's great to know we've got Indeed behind us. Um, I, su- I suppose from, from the career coach point of view, you know, you, you asked earlier about um, where we were when we got to March this year. And, you know, we, we were, to use a, a pun, locked and loaded and ready to go, you know. Um, and then suddenly we had to uh, we had to sort of step back, and it wasn't massively dissimilar from an Indeed perspective. So there had been a huge amount of work to, had gone into the career coach and how Indeed could uh, support uh, the athletes and um, unleash their talent, talent unleashed in your own words, you know, to um, support them on that journey. And we were really, really um, glad to see that because. Under our strategy, it's an athlete's first strategy, but it's also, it's not just winning at any cost. Obviously, we want to win and we're very ambitious and we're doing a lot of things 
that are being done now that that uh, we really hope will improve the prospects for for our athletes um but they are people and we need to remember that and we need to support them on that journey uh, particularly when they've given so much to represent us so the career coach that was being planned uh, initiatives that were being planned in uh, come to to come to fruition in february and march really I had a, a number of um, aspects such as uh, presentation skills, thinking about the future, um, mentorships. Um, it even had uh, work placements. So we've we've had to modify those slightly um, in order, you know, things like work placements. Clearly, that's not going to happen at the moment in the current environment, and hopefully that will will come on stream at a later stage. Um, but. We have been able to provide the athletes with online sessions um, and through the career coach, you'd have a CV um, writing, you would have um, interview uh, techniques, you would have a number of things that are really, you know, the bread and butter of what Indeed does as a business and being able to bring your skill sets to help our athletes. And that's been huge and it's been really well received. And this is the interesting piece. When you look at adversity, um, often some of your best work uh, can come out of adversity and in many in many ways um, having the athletes st stuck at home because they were stuck um, having quite a lot of time in their hands to actually think about what am I doing and why am I doing this because a lot of them do just naturally review what they're doing and why they're doing it it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to go to them and to say look indeed would like to help you through this process and we'd like to talk to you about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you, uh, indeed as a company can help you on the next steps and that transition piece, which is vitally important. You hear far too many stories internationally about athletes you know, who are supported all the way and then they get to the big moment and suddenly the next day they don't know what they're doing. They, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go and, and they haven't really been advised to give it any thought. So through the online sessions, the athletes, and they've engaged really, really well with this, have uh, had a great opportunity to uh, look at, at those really, really important questions. And having the expertise and indeed to support them in that has been immensely beneficial. And it's, it's built up a real trust uh, between the athletes and indeed. And it's, uh, they've spoken extremely highly of it. And um, I, I think it, it will just create a relationship that will last long into the future. So well done. Well, we appreciate that. I mean, it, it indeed started with a mission really of serving job seekers as the priority. So we've built out a number of resources over the years that include content, career guides, uh, as you said, resume writing uh, services. And we hold in-person events, you know, in, in typical times, we've held dozens of what we call job squad events uh, in Ireland over the years uh, and in all the different cities where we operate. Uh, but I think you're pointing to something which is unique in this moment, which is People have had this time out of their normal day-to-day -day routine. It's so, it's so easy to get tied up into your schedule and you know, the direction you're going on. And I've heard from a lot of people that they've used this time to kind of reset their priorities in their life and what they actually want to be doing professionally. I'm wondering if you have any, any stories of, of athletes really rethinking what they might want to do post-competition uh, in light of you know the health impact that's going on in the world, the social unrest that's... that's uh, kind of unwrapping in a lot of places uh, around the globe uh, and how that's impacting people's points of view on their own future. It's, it's been huge. I, I think 
the, the one of the biggest things actually that the athletes got out of the sessions was by being together in those sessions and there were breakout sessions that you operated um through the zoom platform they they could see that they weren't alone and they could see that the problems or issues or uh, concerns that they had at that time were ones that were quite common um, and were shared by a lot of their fellow athletes and having their own peer group in a funny way and not, not to, to talk to was particularly useful because they could see you know this is an area that we could look at and this is an area that we could uh, consider working on in the future and some of them a lot of them are at different stages Dave you know uh, it's a little bit like um, encouraging young people to get pensions um, they're, they're not, not always the quickest to do it and it's often you know their parents or uh, people around them who are advising them look you really should think about your future um, and I know certainly from talking to some of the athletes that they have been looking at um, well in one case in particular somebody was talking to me just the other day about media opportunities in the future and how to actually go about building a profile and how to to uh, start that process and, and asking a little bit of advice about you know where, where who, who to start talking to and what qualifications might be useful in that process but um, you know it's a very it's a very varied bunch I mean we had we had one one um, one of our Olympic rowers is uh, is a doctor and uh, he you know was was really in his transition year so he'd, he'd completed his university studies and was was working in the hospitals uh, during that period and you know for he knows what he wants to do as an example uh, he wants to go into medicine and continue his career but he's trying to balance these things and he needed a little bit of support in approaching some of the the it was in northern ireland so the national health service in terms of um you know um being able to continue uh competing as an athlete uh, during this period now that he has to spend another year in doing it so there's so many different types of people um no different to the diversity that you see in your own business generally um it's very much reflected in the athlete community so i think it's the the big advantage has been the fact that what indeed has brought isn't just simply look everyone this is the way it is and this is what you have to do and this is where you have to go it's been a very tailored approach and the fact that you've actually put time and effort and resources into spending you know proper discussion two-way conversations with the athletes and and also to allow those discussions with their peer groups means that it's much more meaningful and that's why the feedback has been so strong so obviously things have changed so much. What, what's your what's your best case scenario for the next year? How would if you were, were going to write the story of the next twelve months uh, leading up to the newly scheduled Tokyo twenty twenty one games? How, how would that play out, and how would things end uh, post Olympics for these athletes? Yeah, I mean the best case scenario for me is is um, we're starting to plan already for for Paris, and we had done some work, uh, and that's in 2024, and we had done some work already on that um, last year. Obviously, some of that has been put on hold, but we've continued and used the lockdown actually to build on some of the initiatives that we're, we've been preparing for. But it, it, it's interesting that having the Tokyo Olympic Games in 2021 and then having the Paris Olympic Games in 2024 means that there's a closer time between the two. And from a best case scenario, what I'd really like to see is that you know it gives an opportunity that that extra uh, 14 months or extra 12 months uh, gives the opportunity to a number of athletes who were knocking on the door for Paris 
uh, to come and be part of it for Tokyo and really use that experience um, uh, as a jumping board to help them on in, in terms of their Paris experience. I'd also like to um, like to see that the Olympic Games themselves becomes a real expression of who we are as humans and uh, what we've come through. And I think that uh, has it's it's you know it'd be hugely resonating uh, to everyone, and I think there's a, there's a great possibility that, that that could happen. Yeah, sports can really transcend political issues, societal issues can can bring people together, uh, and the Olympics they're really meant to be the purest representation of sports, right? Uh, the competition, the community. Um, you know, I, I think it would be a great way to close if you could share your hopes of how the Olympics themselves will impact the world in, in 2021 and beyond. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, for me, that would be one of the strongest things for the Olympic movement if uh, this comes about, is that we have a Games that is a beacon of hope uh, to humanity and uh, can, can really show uh, how we have collectively, because I think it has to be more than just individual nations. It has to be about a global effort and how collectively as humans, we have come through this together and uh, managed to succeed. And that for me would be would be a wonderful celebration of humanity uh, added to, you know, those moments that transcend all borders when you see really exceptional feats of, uh, of human endeavor uh, being enacted in front of you uh, on sports fields and in athletic stadiums. Um, and I, I think that for me um, would be something really fantastic and something meaningful to look forward to. Well, humanity and community and overcoming adversity, uh, perhaps there's nothing more that the world could use today. Uh, Peter Sherrard, CEO of the Olympic Federation of Ireland, thanks so much for joining us today and best of luck at the 2021 Games. Thanks, Dave. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks to you and to everyone at Indeed for your support. It really means a lot to us. Thank you. Absolutely. Best of luck.